and welcome to your Book Garden Radio, a copyrighted show presented by Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. I'm Tina Susetic, your host. I'm coming to you today from frigid northwestern Wisconsin, where the high is five above and the wind chill is 19 below. Um, in the past week, we've had three snowstorms, so winter has definitely arrived in in Wisconsin. Today my guest author is John Rhodes who comes to us from what I'm assuming is much warmer temperatures in North Carolina. We actually talked earlier before we came on the show and yes it is warmer. He was playing golf this morning. Um, I've never met John in person but based on his bio I believe um, we're going to have a very interesting interview. Um, I think it would be fascinating to spend a day with him and just talking about history and his, his knowledge of history. Um, John was born um, during World War II while his father was serving as an RAF Fighter Command airfield in southern England. After the war, he grew up in London where, he says, the shells of bombed-out buildings served as our adventure playgrounds. Rhodes graduated from Cambridge University where he studied history. After a career in international banking, he retired to North Carolina. He has written two, so far, Thomas Ford detective novels and is busy on a sequel to Breaking Point. Uh, welcome, John. Thank you very much. It's good to be with you, Tina. Um, other than what I just read from your brief bio, because you had a much much longer one, um, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, uh, as you said, I was uh, I was born in uh, during World War II uh, on a, an Air Force base, so RAF station, as we would say. Um, and I was born, actually, my father was there, my mother was in, in uh, a part of the, uh, the officer's barracks, and uh, I was born there. And 30 minutes after I was born, uh, the RAF station was bombed. Obviously, oh I was very upset with this news. However, as you can tell from my voice, he missed <laughs> I grew up in uh, I grew up in South London uh, uh, after the war. Uh, uh, difficult times for uh, the English recovering from all the devastation and and so on. Uh, went to Cambridge and then um, uh, set off to travel around the world and um, came here to the United States. Uh, 50 years ago this year, as a matter of fact, and uh, I've been here ever since. Well, I'm glad you um, joined us over here across the pond, on this side of the pond, I guess, as they say over there, <laughs> this side of the pond. Um, right. You know, one of the things, um, as you were, you know, talking about, and this is something that I've often thought about, when you see pictures of you know the bombed out cities after you know world war world war 2 and you know in, in other wars and it's like how do they rebuild i mean it, where do they put everything to rebuild that always just kind of i always kind of wondered about that and i don't know if that's something that you remember the rebuilding because i mean you were oh, pretty yes. little yes i i do remember when uh my earliest memories after the war, probably 1946, we came back to London, uh, and that's probably when my first uh, memories start. And the house that we lived in there was one of those typical London streets with sort of row houses, sort of townhouse type houses, and uh, about half the block uh, was bombed out. So there were probably... Oh, wow. 
five or six houses standing, including ours, and then five or six, uh, which were just rubble. And um, it took probably 20 years altogether, I would say, for uh, uh, London to be rebuilt. I mean, I can I can remember um, in uh, the 60s, that's 20 years later, when uh, I went up to London, to uh, the center of London, to see Winston Churchill's funeral. And they had a very impressive parade and so on. I was in St. Paul's Cathedral, and I remember very clearly looking around and seeing a lot of the bomb sites which still had not been rebuilt at that time. So it took a very long time, Tina, to uh, to recover wow. from that, that war. And that was true all over all over Europe, just the same. Well, yeah. Um, I, I mentioned something in an email to you. Um, um, well, now, I, now, of course, it's the... Island. Um, do you remember what I, about that um, lady I met from the one of the um, islands? Was a really a strategic um, uh, port there for our for the air force and oh, and Malta. how um, yes. Malta, yes, Malta. And I met a woman from there, and she was probably a little bit younger than me, but she had told me a story about her her grandmother who was pregnant with her mother. And they were supposed to go to the um, opera that night with, with another couple. But she didn't feel good, so she said, I'm staying home. And her grandfather said, well, if you're not going, I'm not going. And um, so the other couple were sitting to the left of her grandparents' empty seats. Well, the opera house was bombed. And um, the seats where her grandparents were supposed to sit were destroyed. The, their friend, the woman, was killed, and her husband, who had his arm around his wife's arm, lost his arm. And I don't. And I think she told me that that opera house was just first being rebuilt. I mean, we're we're talking how many years right. years later? But that story is just like you know, being in the right place at the right place time or the wrong place at the wrong time. You know, if if right. they hadn't decided, you know, if they if they had been there, this woman wouldn't be here. You know, because her mother would have been killed and. Um, and it's something that always kind of struck me. It's like, you know, we hear so much about the men and women who fought, um, and, and rightly so, but we don't hear the the stories like you were saying about coming back and, you know, half the houses were gone and how long it took to rebuild. And, you know, we don't hear about the day-to-day lives of the people that lived there during that time. And, um, oh, absolutely. And, and Malta... Absolutely, and 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 mortar that you mentioned was uh, particularly uh, badly hit. It was a strategic island, and uh, mm-hmm. it was bombed very heavily um, for about a year. And I remember that there was one occasion when it was bombed. If I recall correctly, it was bombed a hundred times in a month. So the, wow. you know, the whole fleets of planes coming over and bombing it three times a day for a month. So the devastation wow. was just extraordinary. Um, you know, and uh, it, you know, that whole that whole thing, the Battle of Mortar, is, is one of the, uh, I think, long forgotten but very dramatic uh, stories of World War II. It would be interesting to write about, I think. You know, and we hear about, you know, the men that came back and, you know, and, and, Back then, they didn't have the term PTSD, but, you know, 
you think about the people and how that had to have affected them their entire lives. You know, even though they didn't fight, they were living and, you know, it just, it just blows my mind, <laughs> you know, what they want, what they want. I'm, I'm sorry. I was going to say one of the interesting things that I remember um, is that uh, my parents and uh, that generation, the generation before me, after the war, really did not talk about anything of that sort. So I had an uncle uh, who um, was actually a, uh, had a distinguished career as a soldier, and uh, uh, I only found out about what he had done uh, from his, his obituary because he never mentioned a word of all of the various things that he had been through, being wounded, being captured as a POW, escaping, all that kind of stuff. I never heard. It was just amazing. It was all suppressed. That whole generation, yeah. what they call the great generation, just somehow suppressed all that stuff. Well, I think they just didn't want to, um, you know, re- relive it. Um, we, before we went on the air, right. we were talking about um, – history and how I did not like history in high school. It was, it was boring and, you know, learn the dates. And I remember my, my history teacher, you know, he would say, read this and answer the questions. And then he'd sit there with a newspaper. And as I was working on a military book for, uh, excuse me, a gentleman who was a pilot in the South, in the Pacific, it dawned on me that he probably served and didn't want to talk about it. And, you know, it's just like, Oh, that kind of makes sense then. So, um, you know, I feel kind of bad now thinking about how, you know, I'm like, well, he's not teaching us anything. He's not teaching about World War II. Well, he probably didn't want to. So, right. And on that note, World War II, we need to get to talking about your, um, your re- most recent book um, called Breaking Point, which I found very fascinating um, about the Battle of um, – Battle of – Britain. Battle of Britain. I almost forget. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and your 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 details in the in the battles with the you know with the against the Germans and and the and the British and it, it just um, you felt like you were in the plane. Anyway, I did. And um, and one of the things that struck me is most Americans. Well, we didn't enter the war until after you know Pearl Harbor was bombed. So we think of that is when this war actually started. We forget that it had started over in Europe long before that. And your book, Breaking Point, is set in 1940. So do you want to tell us a little bit more about Breaking Point? Uh, sure, absolutely. I, Breaking Point uh, is about the Battle of Britain. Uh, the Battle of Britain took place about a year after the start of the war, which... Europeans considered to have been laid in 1939 when Hitler invaded Poland. And Mm -hmm. uh, in the following year, uh, Hitler conquered every single country or virtually every single country in Europe, and only Britain was left. So he was preparing to invade Britain and... Uh, in order to do so, he had all his um, all his ships ready and everything ready to go. Uh, 
but he needed to control the air. He needed air superiority, as we would say today. So he dispatched the, the Luftwaffe, the German Air Force, to bomb all of the RAF stations and to drive the Air Force north away from the English Channel so they could complete uh, the, uh, the invasion. And the Battle of Britain was uh, between the British, who were fighting to keep control over their own country, and the Germans, who were trying to, uh, uh, to push them up north beyond London so they could invade. And it was an extraordinary battle. Um, there's never been anything like it before or since. There were, uh, on any given day, there could be up to a 1,000 aircraft uh, involved. Um, it lasted for 30 days, uh, and the combined uh, uh, rate of uh, destruction on each side was 50 planes a day. So over southern England, over a 30-day period, 1,500 planes were shot down. It was just extraordinary, just extraordinary. Wow. Um, and and to, to, to kind of present this uh, as, as, as fiction, I needed uh, two protagonists. I needed a, um, a tactical protagonist, who is my pilot, whose name is Johnny, and you see the battle through his eyes. He's flying, as you just uh, described, and, you know, fighting and all that kind of stuff. And what you see is what he can see out of his cockpit, you know. That, uh, and then I needed someone who could uh, describe the story at a strategic level. So my other um, uh, protagonist is a young uh, WAF, uh, Women's Royal Air Force uh, officer, who is in uh, RAF headquarters, and so she's in, she understands what's happening from at the strategic level. So we go back and forth between him in his cockpit and her at headquarters, uh, helping to uh, conduct the war. And she is <clears throat> highly intelligent, um, a math mathematician, and uh, I, I found that very fascinating. I am not a mathematician by any stretch of the imagination. Um, how did you come up with the e equations and, and all that information? As I'm reading it, I'm going, did he get this from a book? Did he make this up? And if he made this up, man, you are a genius. <laughs> I, I, uh, I always struggle with math. I was a terrible mathematician, but I wanted, I wanted, I wanted a strong uh, female protagonist, but I did not want her to be in a traditional female role. So I didn't want her to be a doctor or a nurse or, or something like that. I wanted her to be able to do something uh, at which she was absolutely uh, equal, as it were, with the men around her, given that that was uh, a society and a period in time where women were very much not equal. So I wanted to give her a skill that everyone would recognize as extraordinary. So I made her a mathematician, 
And the idea was that she invented, uh, in, in, in the book, she invented uh, a mathematical model which would describe the battle that was going on and that she would be able to, by, by developing this model, begin to predict what the other side was likely to do and therefore to be able to advise the commanders as to what strategies to adopt. Uh, but the math is, is just complete, you know, completely imaginary. There was a, um, a, in real life, there was a man called von Neumann who first began to uh, invent game theory in the 1930s, but it was not fully developed. So my imaginary heroine just takes these very rudimentary ideas of his and builds them up into a complete mathematical model. Well, you know, but it's not real. <laughs> um, <laughs> what I what what I enjoyed was like you know. I'm, I'm reading her, you know, what she was, you know, telling her, her boss and the other officials and, and there what she's thinking, you know, about the strategies and the mathematical and all this stuff. And I was just kind of like, okay, my brain's going to explode. But then you had such a way of explaining it that's like, okay, now that makes sense. I mean, after she goes through the whole, you know, how she was figuring this out, it's like, okay, now I get it. Why is she saying what she's, you know, how that's going to help. Right. Um, the RAF, right. you know, so you, you right. did a, you know, good job. I'm like, oh, okay, right. I get it now. <laughs> so, and right. also what I, right. I, I, I like, well, besides the fact that you make her a very strong woman, you know, in, in a man's definitely, like you said, in a man, man's world, but you also kind of had right. a little romance going in there too. So, um, you know, it was kind of like, okay, are they going to get together or aren't they? But, you know, and, and it kind of makes you realize that even though the war went on, there were still people falling in love and having children and, you know, life life went yeah. on even during, you know, terrible times. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Her, her challenge, uh, as you've said, was to make a contribution to the war effort in very much uh, a man's world, and my pilot uh, was basically the, the average life expectancy of a pilot, and this is true, uh, during that battle was five hours of occupational, of, of, uh, of, uh, of flying, operational flying. So, and they flew two or three hours a day. So your life expectancy when you joined a squadron was two, maybe three days if you were lucky. So <laughs> the, the thing was, how did these guys who weren't, weren't suicidal and they weren't particularly heroic or brave or patriotic or whatever, what enabled them to get on planes and fly? And how, what, what sustained them to keep them... Uh, doing that in these extremely dangerous uh, conditions, and so that was the that Wait. was the, the the issue for him. Um, you know, and one of the things, and I, I've 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 written a couple of um, military books for gentlemen that were in World War II, but in the European theater, theater, he was a ball turret gunner, which was not a very 
I mean, was a very dangerous place to be. And then another one who was a pilot right. in uh, the South Pacific. And, um, you know, what amazed me was how they could fly these planes, do all these maneuvers while they're watching their gauges and while they're watching for the enemy, and then they're engaging in, in, in combat while, they're, while their planes are, you know, it's just like, how did they do that? I just right. blows my mind. You know, I, I had an opportunity to sit in a P-38 because one of the gentlemen flew, flew a P-38. And um, so I got to sit in the P-38, and I actually, I, <clears throat> I actually, sitting in the pilot seat, started gr- crying, you know, trying to imagine how they did that, <laughs> you know. Just, um, yeah, it's, yeah, it, it's, it, it, it's it, something. Tina, it, it is it is truly extraordinary, and one also has to remember that the pilots were uh, 18, 19, 20, 21. I yeah. mean, if you were more than, yep. if you were 22, you were quite old. <laughs> it's just yep. amazing. These were kids that were coming out of high school, coming out of college. They were tr- they were given basic training. Uh they were given maybe 10 hours in a Spitfire or a P-38 or whatever the plane was, and then they go into combat. Just extraordinary that they could do all that. Um, well, I know I asked um, and the, the – gen- um, go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no. Go, go on. Um, the gentleman that I wrote the book about, his name is Norb, Norbert Ruff, and um, – he had, I can't remember the, the plane that he had flown before the P-38, but then they had to go to Australia to learn to fly the P-38s. And I said, well, how did they train you? He said, well, they gave us the manual, read the manual, and get huh. in the plane and fly. And you're like, right. okay. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's, that's how they learned to fly. And, yeah. Yes, and, they and got, they you got know, minimal... And, one of the things which is sad about, um, which is true, but I think sad is, is that, uh, which I write about in Breaking Point, is that you've got these young uh, pilots who are just uh, uh, starting to fly, and they join the squadron and they go up for their first time and so on, and their casualty rates were just extremely high. And... Um, uh, the the squadron, the imaginary squadron that I write about, um, their casualty rates are, are greater than one a day. But that 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 is absolutely reflective of what happened in history. The uh, uh, the, the the German air force lost uh, two thousand. Uh, crewmen either captured or shot down or killed or injured in 30 days. The British lost about 600. Just incredible wow. rate of... of uh, and to, to kind of tie that back to what we were talking about earlier about the bomb buildings when I was growing up, this was all taking place during the daytime at uh, 15,000, 20,000 feet over southern England, and everyone was going to work and doing their job and working on their farm or working in the factories or whatever, and they would look up, and they could see all 
the contrails, all the white trails turning and twisting and so on, as this battle was literally going on above their heads. Just incredible. One of the things that, that struck me as I was reading the, <clears throat> reading the book was, you know, all these planes that were shot down. It's like, well, they had to land. They had to crash somewhere, you know, and all these people on the ground. It's like, that's a lot of planes to be, you know, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> oh, yeah. You, there, you there run is, when uh, you see a plane? <laughs> well, if you had time, you could run. Um yeah, but uh, it, it, one of one of the um, as I write I, 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 somewhere that every so often, you know, a bomb at random you'd be walking along and at random a bomb would fall out of the sky or perhaps a man would fall out of the sky or an aircraft would just fall out of the sky completely at random, and 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 although the targets were the airfields and later on during the Blitz was London. Uh, 80% of all the bombs missed. 80% of all the bombs missed their yeah. targets, and they fell in open countryside, or they fell in little towns and villages that had no strategic significance at all. It was just like sort of a random uh, uh, rash, like pockmarks all over <laughs> southern England, just these things coming down. Wow. Um, we're getting down to we got just a little over three minutes. Um, I read that there's going to be um, a, a book to follow this one. Uh, yes, and I'm, I'm um, uh, I just finished drafting it, so it it should be available uh, next year. And, and next year will be the 80th anniversary of this battle. And this book has the same protagonists uh, because without spoiler alert, they survived this book. Uh, it starts uh, the day after uh, Breaking Point finishes. And oh, okay. it, it traces the end of the Battle of Britain, and then you see what happens to my two protagonists after that, and it finishes uh, the day of Pearl Harbor. So it goes through 1941, and it finishes in December of 1941 when uh, with uh, Pearl Harbor. And uh, I'm excited about that, and uh, I'm hoping that uh, people will uh, en- enjoy that one as well. Well, I will definitely be. Uh, what is? What do you have a title? Uh, the tentative title is "Infinite Odds," because uh, that's a, that's another quote, just like Breaking Point is a quote from Churchill. Churchill is describing the Battle of Britain. Uh, had a phrase where he said uh, uh, the the risks were high, the stakes were incredible, the odds were infinite, or something like that. I forget the exact quote. So, so I've taken that as as the title of the next book. And the breaking point oh. uh, is a quote which. Uh, Churchill said, Hitler must break us in this island or lose the war, to which um, Hitler replied, if one of us breaks, it won't be Nazi Germany. So that was uh, the breaking point. Well, and one of the things that you, at the end of the book, is you go through some of the, 
oh, I hate it when time, <laughs> I just got an announcement that 90 seconds left. And it's like, ah. Um, oh, dear. You, you go through some of the, the real-life characters that you have, real-life people that you have in the book. And, and I do remember, you, you know, reading, reading that, what you just said, what, you know, what Churchill said and what uh, Hitler said in, re, in response. Right. Um, right. Our, oh, unfortunately, our time is just about up. Um, I def, this is a book, book well worth, worth uh, reading just for the historical value and, I mean, the, the, the fictional value of it. I, I loved it. Um, I will look forward to seeing your next one. And uh, thank you so much, John, for being on my show today. Tina, thank you very much. I've enjoyed it very much talking with you. Thank you. Okay, thank you, and, and happy holidays. Happy holidays to you, too. Okay, um, after the show, I'm going to be taking a uh, hiatus for a bit so that I can catch up on my reading and set up interviews with more intriguing authors like John. Until then, read on, my lovelies, and happy holidays. Bye.